You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. Gift of Hope, last week of Gift of Hope is, um, title of my message is The Hope for Our Hearts. And if you didn't get message notes on the way in, did we have any left? I'm not, no, we were all out. Sorry about it. Uh, if you want one, maybe somebody will, will sacrifice theirs. But uh, I'll remember that for next week. Make sure we get more. Hope for Our Hearts is the title of my message today, the last one. We've gone through um, hope for our town. We've gone through hope for the nations. We've gone for hope for our home. And now we look to our hearts because the greatest hope we have is in Jesus. And we have a great hope when we face the, 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 um, just the, the cultures of this world that we face, the, the emotions of, of depression, anxiety, fear, all the things, financial stress and burdens, all the things make us kind of sit back and, and ask ourselves, where is hope? Do we have, like, where can I find hope? And today I wanted to talk to you just about that, where we can find the hope for our hearts. And I'm gonna start us in Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And it shows us right here in this first bit that we must have hope because if we don't have hope, then we will, we will have troubles. We will be troubled. It, it, it makes our hearts sick. And the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I, I read this as the desire fulfilled ultimately is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the desire and he is the tree of life. And, and, and that's how I read it and that's how I look into it. But I wanna go continue on as we go into Isaiah 9. It says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. These people, the people who walk in darkness will see great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. We go back and we talk about and, and, uh, what is this great light. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. This great light, Jesus is the light who was promised. He is the great light that was promised. And we will see gladness. We will rejoice in him and he will go forth for us so that we have, can have a hope for our lives. In John chapter one, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. This light being Jesus, the light of men. He is life. And we continue on. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. This is a, the light Here's the thing. We, we talk about how dark the world is. Well, fine. The, the world can be dark, but we are called to be the salt and the light, right? We, there has to be darkness for light to shine. It, you know, we, we may come to church and, and, and we all may be a light and it, it's, it's necessarily, we, we just, maybe comparison falls in somewhere here or there, but it is our job to go to the darkness to shine the light. 
Because we must shine the light of Jesus in the dark places of this world. And when we do that, the darkness did not comprehend it. We will be attacked. We will, we will, there will be persecution. Like the, in America, you don't necessarily see persecution as you do on the mission field in other countries, quite honestly. But there will be loss on behalf of us following Jesus. But it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be scared of. But it, it recognizes that the darkness isn't going to comprehend the light. That They're not going to understand Jesus and the story of Jesus and what he has done for us fully. Right, Like the first time you share Jesus with them, they're not going to comprehend it fully. They're not. That is the truth. But what can we do as a church? What can we do as individuals who are sharing the light with those that are in darkness? Is we can pray for the blinders to come off. You know, they're not always going to be comprehended because they're always in darkness. And when, when you're in darkness for a long amount of time, you come into, into light, you step into light or like out of your house when it's fresh snow, like blindness, right? You got to close your eyes. They, they, we have to, those are our natural blinders and we have to open up our eyes for them. We have to pray for them to open up their eyes for the blinders to come off so that they can see the goodness of God. So that they can see the hope of Jesus in our world today. I want to take us to Isaiah 9-6, which is our focal point of, of, of our message um, today being, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his uh, shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is not ordinary, and that is the purpose. I think, you know, Jesus is extraordinary. He's far beyond what we can comprehend. And I think when we, when we talk with people in this world, we, we kind of get in this battle of like, well, that doesn't even make sense. Good. Like, quite honestly, good. I'm glad that I can't comprehend everything and I can't understand everything. It doesn't have to make sense to me. That's the, we, we must step in faith. We must step in faith when we receive Christ. It doesn't, we're not always going to, it's not always gonna make sense to us. But quite honestly, I look at it as like, I don't, I don't really want to, uh, to serve a God that makes sense because if it makes sense to me, then it's way too earthly. It's way too worldly. And, and, and have it a God that's so much bigger than we, can, that we can, that we can ever imagine is a good thing. And it's, it's worth rejoicing in because it shows that he is far greater than us. It's far greater, he's far greater than this world. He's far, far, far greater than all the things that we battle. Like, we don't, it doesn't have to make sense. He's extraordinary. And it is by purpose that he is far, that, that we don't, uh, fully understand every single thing that he does, the why behind it. Like, and I, I think that's a good thing. And maybe, maybe that sits with you today. Maybe you've never thought about that. Maybe you've been battling. Oh, this doesn't even make sense. Why would that happen? I, I don't know. But I know what the word of the Lord says. And if we live by it, we have a great hope that is in Jesus. We're gonna continue on in Isaiah 7. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows, he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Emmanuel being, uh, being the point of this, Emmanuel meaning God with us. 
That, that is the, the name Emmanuel means God with us. It shows us he, God alone, is with us right where we are. He is with us at all times. As we receive him as Lord and Savior over our life, we have that, that hope lives in us. The Spirit of God lives within us, dwells within us. He is with us. And the cool thing about this is, is one of the verses I read is that the government will rest on his shoulders. But the cool part about this is that nothing upholds the Son of God. And every government, every organization, there's always a structure that holds it up. But the one thing that isn't held up by anything is the Son of God himself. He upholds everything. The government rests on his shoulders. The weight of sin and shame rests on his shoulders. Nothing upholds him. He upholds everything. He carries the weight of everything. And that, that's something worth rejoicing in because that means we don't have to. That, that means the sin and shame that we once carried, we don't have to because of the cross. And that is something glorious. And, and that is a great hope for us, a great hope that we can share with those around us, families and, and friends around this season of Christmas. But it brings me to this question, why did God become man? Why, why, why did God become man? The, the question, you could go in rabbit holes and you could, you could, you could say, you know, start guessing or, or maybe make an educated guess. But I have four things that, that I believe on, on why God became man. The first being, he became man to reveal to us who he is. He, he had to take on flesh so that he could reveal to us exactly who he is. And as flesh, as man, he would, he would go on his life and he would have his own ministry, his disciples, and he would start work, do, doing miracles. And it wasn't right away. He didn't like, I mean, well, essentially it was right away. I mean, he was born a virgin, like from a virgin. So yeah, in a way, yes, it was right away. But all the things, like the miracles, that was the first miracle, essentially. And then you continue on, you see when his ministry really begins. And you see, really, he had to become man or else people, especially then, like we see it now, but especially then, like they wouldn't believe with, with, unless they saw it with their eyes. And I think that's the world we live in today. A lot of people, they don't believe unless they see it. I mean, that's the part of faith. But he came to reveal to us who he is. And I wanna go through those names. Wonderful, meaning full of wonders. Is, it's in, you're, in, you're in awe of who God is. And counselor meets us where we are. The wonderful counselor. He, 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 he can do anything and, and he meets us exactly where, when we think of a, when we think of a counselor, like a, a regular counselor that we'd see, here, like in school systems or, or you know, private counselors, whatever it may be, they, they, they meet us to help us get to our needs. But the, the great thing about this wonderful counselor is that he meets us exactly where we are. We don't have to have a, cri a certain criteria to be able, you know, for, for him to meet us. No, we just come to him exactly as we are. We don't have to have it all figured out before coming to him. We don't have to have everything, all these things checked off and crossed off the list before we can come meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He meets us exactly where we are. He is a wonderful counselor. It takes us to Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The wonderful. 
The counselor gives us to John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom he, I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He who comes after me. We've heard the, the story of leaving the 99 for the one. He comes after us. The difference between him as our wonderful counselor and any other counselor you know is that he chases after us right where we are and meets us where we are, full of wonder and full of awe. We come to mighty God. This is not just, not just a, a prophet, you know, but he was superior in power. No, there is no greater king. There, there is no greater God. I don't care what anybody says in this world. Whatever God they want to serve, there is no greater God. He is the only one true God, as it is. And he is superior in power. We go to Psalm 45, 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of, up, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Forever and ever. He is the goal. He is, we want to be like Christ. Will we ever be like, on this earth, will, will we ever, ever be like Christ? No, we have a sin nature that we have to deal with and we have to recognize we need a savior. But he is a mighty God who has overcome this and he is superior than our flesh. He is superior than the enemy. He is superior than any depression, any anxiety, any fear. He is superior than any financial stress. He is far greater than, he is superior than all of our trials and all of our battles. And I want us to look at everlasting father, everlasting in nature, eternal in years, unending, alpha and the omega, beginning and the end. He, he doesn't stop. He is forever. And father, creator, preserver, protector. For some fathers in here, you may, recognize, you, you, may, you may know exactly what it means. You know exactly what it means to be a father. Yes, you, you partake, you partook, I don't know the right word, in creating. And you raised up your children, you preserved their life, and you protected them at all costs. Well, this everlasting father does the exact same, except he created everything. Not just certain kids, he created it all. He's the everlasting father. Father, never-ending, protector, creator, preserver. John chapter one says, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That, what, what that says, it's just repeating itself. All things came into being through him. There, there's no discussion. Everything is because of him. He is the ultimate creator. He's the only creator. In Hebrews 12, we begin to read, or we continue reading, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a great hope in this Savior who has come, who has bear, who, who, who bore the cross for our sin, for our shame. We put him on the cross. 
so that we didn't have to bear that sin, so that we didn't have to bear the shame, so that we can live with hope, with great joy in our lives. A second point that comes to why did he become man? He became man to destroy the works of the devil. He, he, he came to crush Satan and his minions. And, and, and we see this in 1 John 3, it says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. It's right here in scripture. I didn't make that point up. I took it from the word of the Lord. Because it is true. This is why he appeared for this purpose. He became man to destroy the works of the devil. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. He came to crush the enemy. He came to overcome all that the enemy is at work. We read in scripture, paraphrasing somewhere, I don't remember the reference off the top of my head, uh, but the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to destroy before he could. He, he had already destroyed enough. But, you know, the enemy continues to work. But Jesus came to destroy those ungood works of the enemy. Third reason why did he become man? Why did God become man? He became man to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He, he, he took, took the sin of our lives. Do we, do we still sin? Do we have a sin nature? Yes. But because of Jesus, we do not have to bear a sacrifice because he is the ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the sacrifice of himself, by himself. And 1 John says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Again, I just took it from the word of the Lord. He appeared to take away sins so that you don't have to bear the price of sin yourself. There is great hope in this for us in our hearts. No matter where we're at today, no matter where, where we come from or, or, coming or, or going to, we have a great hope for ourselves because of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We continue on in Hebrews 9. It says, Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the consummation of, of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch it is appointed for men to die once, and after, this, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. What does this show us? There was a first coming. We weren't on earth for it, but there is a second coming. There is a second coming of Christ 
It will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. And we, we eagerly await him. He is our only hope. He is our living hope. Nothing, no, no, nobody can take his life and no, only he can put it down so then he can raise it up. The fourth point we come to today of why he became man. Why did God become man? He became man to prepare for a second coming. There is a second coming. And we miss the first one, but we have the opportunity to not miss the second one. If you, if you have, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you will not miss the second coming. But if you know people, everybody knows people in their life who do not know the Lord. They, I mean, in a way, they're, gonna, they're, they're not gonna miss the second coming. They're just not going the same way we're going, okay? And I, I'm not saying that to scare anybody. It's just the truth. But he's prepared because he became man to prepare the way, to fulfill the law, And I think it brings us to, ultimately, after all this, why did he become man? I think that there's a main pursuit of this. Yeah, those are the four points, but the main pursuit is to make peace between God and man. That's the main pursuit of why he became man. There is, you know, God and man have been at war since the beginning. Because of, because of Satan, because of the devil, there is great tension between God and man. And we see it in our own lives, we see it in lives around us. But he came to bring peace. He is the prince of peace after all. But here's the thing with that, is that true joy cannot happen without peace. You know, we, we, we sing about, at times, we have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But we can't have true joy without peace. And, it, and finding peace isn't about just opening a box and, oh, there's peace. No, it's like we have to make peace. We're, we're not called to be peacekeepers. We're called to be peacemakers. And it is our job to make peace in our lives. And, and what does that look like? It looks different in everybody's life. But if there is sin, deal with the sin. It, it takes us to realize this sin that we need to, that, that, that we've been living in, or this identity that we've been living in that isn't, that is, that isn't Christ-like, and it's our job to make peace and to destroy. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, but the devil's still at work for the souls of those in this world. And, 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 he, and he, he has schemes on schemes to try to tried to trip us up and try to take us down. But it's our job to make peace, not to keep peace. And John 20 says, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. They're, they're scrambling around, they're, they're, they're trying to protect themselves, and he just comes with simple words, peace be with you. You know, his, his first words to his disciples were, have peace, peace be with you. There's no coincidence in that. We must have that reminder in our, in our own lives. 
When, when there's trial and tribulation and we're all stressed out because of work or finances or family or, or Christmas party planning, whatever it may look like, we must remain at peace. Peace be with us. And we continue on in Isaiah chapter two. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be a base. And we continue on, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his glorious presence. There is a state of war between God and man. And we must recognize this, that in a state of war, we don't just sit back and relax and watch. No, we step up as warriors of the kingdom, as warriors of the most high God to create peace, to make peace. But we, we have to recognize there is a state of war. I, I mean, you look at any other religion, no other religion is bashed the way that Christianity is bashed. There's, there's no coincidence there. I, I'm just saying, this war is ours to fight. And we must step up. Because with, our sin, with the sin nature and, and with, this, with this war that is taken on between God and man, we recognize and we, we see as we sin that we are, we are broken. We are no longer whole. But there's only one thing, only one thing, only one person, not thing, there's only one person who fulfills us, who completes us, and who, who, who creates wholeness. It's the Son of God is wholeness and completeness. So yes, we may come in here broken. We say that all who are broken, all who are weary, all who are broken, come, come. That, we, we must come to him because he is our completeness. He is our wholeness, and he is our hope. He is the hope for our heart. And the, the, the best part about all of this is that the favor of the Lord cannot be earned. So many people I talk to, like, you know, they, they don't recognize that it's more about relationship than it is religion. Religion is, is make, checking all the boxes, crossing everything off the list, because if I don't do these things, then, you know, I'm not going to be in his favor. No, his heart, the spirit of the Lord will will convict your heart and, and he can change your heart. But you can't earn his favor. He just wants a relationship with you. And that relationship will take you further than any other relationship on, in, on this planet. From your kids to your spouse to friends, there is no greater relationship than that of which with Jesus Christ. I wanna take us to Luke chapter two. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will, lead, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
what do we see here? Is that God does not give something but someone, that being a savior. He doesn't just hand something over to take care of. No, he hands over his son, his only son, as our savior, where we can rest in his arms, where we can look to for all hope that we need. In Romans chapter five, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Very simple. We have peace with God. We don't, we don't have peace for God. We don't have peace of God. No, we have peace with God. I think this is key because we must be with God. Our hearts must be aligned with God. And the way we live our lives must be aligned with God and his heart to have this great peace that overwhelms all other things in the best way possible. Isaiah chapter nine says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness then, uh, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He'll continue to increase. Nothing will stop it. Nothing can stop the increase of his kingdom. I go back to Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Forever and ever. Eternal, everlasting Father. It all comes full circle now. To be at peace with God is to be at war with the world. And vice versa, to be at peace with the world is to be at war with God. So, so many of us are afraid to offend others or, or, or you know, some of us may have the tendency to be people pleasers and we just don't, we don't wanna upset people. Well, to be a peacemaker, we have to upset some people. To be a warrior of, of, the, of the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, we ha- we're gonna have to offend people. And it's not, not out of like, hey, I want to offend you. It's like, no, I know that Jesus is far greater than this and I serve a much higher God. King of kings, Lord of lords. And it takes us. We have to step into that and realize it's not just about pleasing those but it's about pleasing the Father. I've said this before, it's been a while, but I've I've said I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. When it comes to what decisions I make or what conversations I have or whatever, like, this is true. And no, I'm not perfect by any means, believe me. I have my my own shortcomings, but I recognize I need a savior. Can you recognize that you need a savior as well? John chapter 16 says this, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Yes, we will have tribulation, but he has overcome the world. Best part about this right here, again, just took it from the word of the Lord. Great point, Ross. I didn't come up with it. Jesus has overcome. He has overcome your stress of your financial stress. He has overcome your unforgiveness that you have towards individuals or that individuals may have towards you. He has overcome your depression, your anxiety, your fear, your illnesses. He has overcome it all 
so that you do not have to bear that weight. He has overcome your sin. He has overcome your shame. He has overcome all things so that you can have the joy of the Lord as your strength, so that you can have freedom in Christ, so that you can have freedom in the cross. He has overcome the world. That is everything in its entirety. Jesus works for your peace and wants you to be a peacemaker. Can you accept that challenge today? Will you accept that challenge today? Jesus completes and gives the assurances of heaven. He is what completes us. He is who completes us. And he assures us because of his sacrifice, taking the place on the cross, he assures us our place in heaven as we call on him as Lord and Savior of our life. There's a story, as we finish up, there's a story I wanted to share. It's a story about a mother and a son. Mother was really sick on her deathbed. Son comes to visit. The son comes and and he kind of strayed. She was a strong believer, strong follower of Jesus. And he kind of strays and He says, Mom, where is the hope? Where where, where is this hope? Where can I find this hope? Where can I find this this love that you have? Where can can I find this joy? And her last words to him were, all hope can be found in the C major scale. And and he, he, he knew piano like a little bit. And so he'd sit down for time and time and time again. And he would just be kind of piddling around, but I'm gonna actually, Mike's gonna help me out here. Will you just play the C major scale? So he would sit there and just play it over and over and over. And then one night, he sat down and he started playing it with it again. And he's trying to make it make sense. So he starts, he begins to play it backwards. So as he plays it backwards and he's like, this doesn't make any sense. But the thing about music theory and the, the thing about this is that the heartbeat of God, heartbeats are what? Rhythms. It's all about the rhythm. So he began to play with it. And and he continues to play and he gets the right rhythm. And he realizes, what song is this? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. So when she says all hope can be found in the C major scale, she was referring to the joy of the Lord, the Lord is come. That is the greatest hope that she's ever had, the greatest joy, the love of Christ is found in the C major scale. And the joy to the world, the song is really about the Lord coming, how he has come for us to take us home in a place of heaven. If you were encouraged by today's talk, 
Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.